Welcome to Views from the World Tree. Time for a prepping episode this week. Whether it's riot season, mass shooting season, wildfire season, or whatever the reason for the season, it's time to make sure you're ready for the civil unrest that we tend to see in the summer months. And now, on with the show. Before we jump into news, I just have to say how sad it is that here in America we have a riot season. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things you have to laugh about, otherwise you get depressed. It's just it's so it is depressing. Yeah, it's the summer months, kids are out of school, so they're gonna go uh break buildings. <laughs> Doesn't help that our government is not governing for the people. But enough of the politics. I just had to point out it's sad that we have a riot season. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I see. Good news, everyone. Anyway, uh, since I opened my mouth, I, I guess I'll jump into the news for this week. So um, last week, I talked a little bit about what I was reading. I was reading the book called The End of Nature by Bill McKibben. And I finally finished it. Um, and if you were here, or even if you weren't here, the book was written in 1989 by a opinion writer for the New Yorker, which is a magazine, uh, a literary magazine. And he, um, he basically talked about all the things that are contributing to greenhouse gases, all the all the reasons why nature is not going to be the same nature that he experienced and back in the 1990s and some of the ways that we can get around it. And I just thought it was really fascinating. Um, as he was, as I was reading it, uh, 30 years in the future from when he wrote it, how spot on a lot of his, a lot of his predictions were. Um, and I'd mentioned it a little bit last week, but some of the things that really stood out to me was, um, back in the, in the 1980s, he was talking about how, a warmer, warmer weather mixed with acid rain will create a, a drying effect in the trees, which will cause not only like the pine kill that we're seeing up in the uh, American Northeast, but also will create a, like a more intense beetle beetle season where the beetles will just start to reproduce uninhibited type of thing. And if you have ever been in the Rocky mountain region of the United States, and I think to an extent up in Canada now, actually you'll, you'll see the pine beetles have just, devastated forests and so i just thought that was fascinating how spot on that one was um and then he does talk a lot about how as a society gets wealthier um they tend to consume more and the hyper consumption helps speed up 
climate change. Um, and I thought that was kind of interesting because uh, that's very similar to some of the arguments that we're seeing come out of the UN right now in regards to hyperconsumption. So not to go too far into the political spectrum on this one, even though we're talking about riot season. Um, <laughs> it is uh, just very fascinating to me how spot on these predictions from 30 years ago is. Yeah, sounds like it. <clears throat> so, yeah. Sorry, not super interesting. Um, I'll have some some more to say. I just picked up from from my wife poking and prodding me, telling me I need to read this, need to read this, need to read this. Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I'm going to finally read this book that everybody says changes their life. So... <laughs> I've heard we'll good see. things about that, but I have not read it, so maybe I'll have to check that one out. There you go. Um, as far as watching, if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you will know that in my reading section, session, or reading news, reading section, whatever you want to call it, um, I have been talking a lot about the Joe Pickett series from the author C.J. Box. Um, I found out on Paramount Plus, there is now a TV series, a live action TV series called Joe Pickett. And I sat down and I started watching it. This is not a review show by any means, but I will <laughs> give it a little bit of a review. The acting, at least in the pilot, not that great. Second episode, it kind of picks up a little bit better, but you can tell that they went with kind of un unknown actors um but it follows the chron chronological order of the book pretty well and i have to admit um there's a one character in the series um that in the first season i assume joe is going to save um i don't want to give too much away in case you're going to go watch it but they cast this outdoorsman absolutely amazing. I didn't like it at first because it wasn't how it was described in the book. But I think the casting director did an amazing job with it. But definitely worth a watch. Nice. I remember you mentioning the series to me. I still hadn't had a chance to, to check it out, but... Knowing that it's worth watching, maybe I'll bump it up on the list a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. Um, just a reminder uh, for you and anybody else that's listening. Uh, the series centers around a Wyoming game warden who, through kind of a weird happenstance and some horrible, horrible luck, um, kind of has a murder mystery thrown onto his back doorstep. And the first book follows this uh, murder mystery and why it occurred in the uh, in the state of Wyoming type of thing and then he kind of the sheriff hates him because he puts his nose where it doesn't belong and thinks that he's a police officer type of thing so it has kind of a friction between um, between departments and it just 
I don't know. It, it's clever. It's not your monster of the week. It's very thought out, very built up, very fascinating. Yeah. I've read the first or most of the first one. It's definitely worth a read. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah. So that's what I've been watching. And then as far as news, um, I just spent, well, I was supposed to go for a couple of nights up into a, onto a ranch to do some camping, hiking, rock climbing, fly fishing. Um, unfortunately that got cut short due to a little bit of a COVID outbreak, um, at my wife's work. So we are back home, um, but I did want to kind of say I found some of the most beautiful areas up in Medicine Bow National Forest, which is in Wyoming. It's on the Wyoming-Colorado border. There's um, there's a mountain called Medicine Bow up there. And at the top of this pass, you can access uh, the mountain by road. It's right off the road, so you don't have to hike too far in. There is a beautiful glacier-fed lake. The, so Medicine Bow, the mountain itself kind of bows out. It's like a little uh, trough where the glaciers just kind of sat in there. Then mm-hmm. as the snow melts, it kind of comes down and feeds this high alpine lake. And I just sat out there um, today as I was driving home. And I was watching the trout snag the bugs off the top of the water as the bugs would land and kind of skim across the water. The trout were hitting them super hard and the water was just so pristine so clean and you almost forget especially when you live in a city that has a pretty bad pollution problem such as Denver uh, you forget how pristine the air and the water can be when you're up above 11,000 feet it's really it's a completely different world and it's definitely worth it to check out so yeah i I always love being up in the mountains it's very peaceful feels like a different planet sometimes Mm -hmm. so if you follow us on uh, facebook i'll throw a picture of medicine bow up on facebook so you can see this high alpine lake it is it's gorgeous. I look forward to next summer when I get a chance to camp up there. Who knows? Maybe I'll go up in September, but it all depends on when the snows come in. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> oh. What about you? Uh, so for me this week, uh, for reading, I finished my reread or my re-listen with uh, Mr. Wheaton. Uh, Ready Player One. And then after finishing that, I decided to rewatch the movie adaptation. And I have to say, I am still disappointed (laughs) with the film adaptation and how they felt like they needed to make it more applicable to the younger generation. I just, I don't know. I get that they wanted it to appeal to a broader audience and make more money, but. I feel like it lost some of the nostalgia for me, at least not seeing some of those late eighties and early nineties references. 
Yeah, um, I enjoyed the movie, but I remember when I watched it, I was really disappointed in some of the things that I think they could have added to the movie that would have added to the story for the younger generation, especially since the 80s and 90s are hot right now. Yeah. Yep, agreed. But, you know, at least we got a movie, I guess. Yeah. And then, so moving on to what I watched, uh, in this case, was going to talk about a game that I played that is a little bit older, so some people have probably played it and they're like, what, you're just barely discovering this? But... (laughs) Um, so the game is called Firewatch. Um, like I said, it's an older game. It's currently on Xbox Game Pass. That's where I played it. It came out in 2016. And if anybody listening doesn't know the premise, um, it's kind of like a story-driven mystery. Um, it's in first-person point of view. And you play a wildfire lookout in, I think it's Wyoming. It might be Montana. Um, And so you're up in this tower and you're like watching for fire. And you, you know, as you're exploring the area, going around doing your stuff, you find like some weird things going on and you start to go down the rabbit hole. And it's fun and relaxing just like walking through this virtual forest and trying to piece together clues and, it gets really intriguing, um, kind of like two thirds of the way through, when what you're thinking is a fairly straightforward mystery turns almost like, kind of like, the Dharma Initiative on Lost, like really just kind of M Night Shyamalan type stuff, and then you have to go and find out what's going on in this uh, in this forest. So it was a lot of fun. Have you played this one? I haven't. It keeps popping up as something that I want to play, but I have not had the chance to play that one yet. I I would definitely recommend it. Um, so from starting until like the credit screen, it took me probably three hours, um, and I was pretty leisurely with it. So it uh, doesn't take too much time. It's kind of a fun, fun little story trip, though. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I I'll have to check it out. Then in other news, um, next week my puppy is being spayed. She's having her big girl surgery. So follow our Instagram for you know cute Pixar lamp dog photos and shenanigans. Or I don't know, maybe maybe not. Cone of shame. <laughs> oh. um, and then that's really all that's going on in my life. <laughs> the cone. The cone of shame. <laughs> Poor thing. Yeah. It, I mean, it. they end Is up this, getting uh, used to it really fast. What's that? Is this Sill or... um, This is Sky. Yeah, Sill has been spayed for about a year. Um, This is Sky. Sill adjusted to it really quickly. 
she, it almost becomes comical. Um, like still bounced back really quick from the surgery and was the funny part was just watching her try and like play and, <laughs> and eat and stuff and just do simple tasks with this big, like plastic cone around her head. So it was kind of funny. Yeah. But yeah, it's from what I, it's, uh, From what I remember of Sills, I mean, granted, this was in Utah. Um, it was a pretty non-invasive surgery. It was all done through a scope. So hopefully oh, nice. things go well. But, yeah. <clears throat> hopefully. I guess uh, that should bring us on to our main topic. Um, a little bit of a trigger warning before we go into the, our main topic today. Uh, as you heard from the buffer, this is all about what to do, how to prepare for civil unrest. Um, unfortunately, um, it feels like it's become a more widespread thing day to day, not just in the United States, but everywhere that there is some form of civil unrest and this can be triggering for some people, but we do feel that this is the type of information that you would need to give you an idea of how to prepare so that you're not caught in a situation that could be dangerous to you or your family. So I just wanted to preface that before we went into it. Yeah, probably good. Good idea. Personally, I've always felt, and I think you probably share the same view that it's better to at least have an idea of the possibilities so that you can try and prepare for them. But I understand that some people it's just too stressful and induces too much anxiety. So if that's you, we, you know, we won't hold it against you if you uh, just skip to the end. Also, just be warned, um, nothing that we're going to talk about gets super violent or super graphic. So this is still a show that you can listen to in the car with young kids, but just know that it could lead to uncomfortable discussions depending on the curiosity of the kids, too. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> they do that. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyway, um, so civil, <laughs> sorry, civil unrest. Uh, what exactly is it? Um, there are four levels of civil unrest. Um, level one is when people turn on their own neighborhood. Um, this can be deadly, destructive, but it's very localized, spontaneous. You tend to be safe unless you're in an in the immediate area. Um, so I guess my thought on this is think about the George Floyd protests of two years ago, three years ago, when it was localized to a single neighborhood. It was very dangerous if you were in that neighborhood, but it wasn't super widespread at the point when they first started. Yeah, it's a good example. Um, so level two is very similar um 
The level two focuses on more on business districts and commercial areas, <clears throat> areas where the impact tends to be greater. And for me, um, the city of Portland comes to mind. In the I, I don't remember if this was last year or the year before. It all kind of runs together, but um, it tends to affect a larger group of people just due to their inability to like go into the city to purchase food, um, travel safely, get medical care, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, once we reach level three, um, this is usually a, a little bit bigger, a little bit more dangerous. Um, this is when disruption is occurring at a state or even a regional level, making it so that everybody in this area is affected, um, like regardless of the original cause. This can create impacts to your travel um, through restrictions, random ID check, checks, food, fuel rationings, roadblocks. Um, in the Western world, this is kind of the beginning of a limited martial law with curfews, ID checks, roadblocks, etc. Um, and then the highest level of civil unrest, at least according to this source, is the same as level three. Um, however, it's on a national or even international scale. Involves things like martial law, uh, mandatory curfews, and the distinguishing factor of this is that the government itself um, a lot of times is a bigger threat than whatever the original cause of the unrest was. So this is the type of thing you tend to see in like dystopian disaster movies. Yes. This is also recent history uh, during the Arab Spring, the uprisings uh, overthrowing dictators in the Middle East. You saw a lot of this uh, entire countries going into martial law and basically Citizen-led revolutions is an example of this as well. Yeah. Um, so that kind of goes over what civil unrest is, the different forms that it can take. Um, we didn't want to spend too much time on that. Where we wanted to spend the bulk of our time this episode is how do you prepare for this? Um, and most of this discussion is probably going to be focused on like you know, level two, level three stuff. Um, in my mind, level one, you can't really prepare for it. It's pretty spontaneous. It's also very localized. And it's just something you can sit in your house for a few hours and wait it out. Um, but where prepping starts to become beneficial is when you start to like lose access to the city, you know, lose access to grocery stores, um, supply chain disruption and things like that. Um, and one thing I don't think we've talked about on this podcast on previous preparedness episodes is how to prepare mentally. Um, so I just wanted to just touch on that really quickly. Um, the mental preparedness that I encourage people to use is just to develop increased situational awareness. Um, I feel like that's probably the biggest benefit you can have. 
to like maximizing your chance of survival in these situations. And specifically, there's a concept called the OODA loop. It's O-O-D-A loop, an acronym that stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. Uh, this is a uh, like a situational awareness model, I guess, that was developed by a military strategist, uh, U.S. Air Force Colonel John Boyd. And he applied the concept to kind of the combat operations process, kind of at the operational level of military campaigns. But uh, recently it's gained a lot of popularity in obviously in, you know, preparedness and circles where they talk about situational awareness, but also in everything to like commercial operations, business processes, and just anywhere that you can apply the concept of like taking in information, orienting yourself to it, and then making decisions based on that information and then taking action. Um, and the, the underlying concept of the OODA loop is, so those four steps is something that every person in every situation goes through. If you think about when you're making a decision about anything, really, um, you go through this at some level. And by training yourself and developing the skills to process through that loop faster, the thought is that in a stressful or high stakes situation, if you can work through that loop faster than, say, like an opponent, um, then that will give you the leg up and it will get you kind of ahead, like one step ahead. Um, so in cases of like civil unrest and whether that's riots or whatever, if you're able to take in that information, um, process it and then act on it quicker, then it just gives you that much better of a chance to survive whatever the situation is. I like that. I haven't actually heard of that before. I've heard the the idea of it, but I had never actually heard that as it is. Can you go over the uh, four steps again real quick for the listeners? Yeah, so first, the first step is observe. Um, so that's just, I mean, so if you imagine yourself, you're in a situation, you see like, I don't know, just for example's sake, people are like, breaking store windows and like lighting fires, right? So this is a thing that you observe. And then there's different things that feed into that. Um, you have like, you know, obviously your different senses, you have the outside information, you have um, the circumstances that are unfolding. And then that feeds into the second step, which is orienting. So you have to orient yourself to what's going on. And this one... Um, in the classes that I've taken on it, there's, is a lot of discussion around orienting. There's a lot of like cultural traditions, biases, um, past experience that goes into orienting yourself to information in general. And it's kind of a delicate topic, so I'm not going to go into it too much. Um, there's an argument that, certain stereotypes can be beneficial when you're trying to quickly process information 
because they're stereotypes for a reason. And so it's a fine line and it's difficult to make use of your past experience and those things that you've gone through while not being blinded by your personal biases. Um, and like I said, there's papers and books that are written on this subject. So you can look those up if you want, but, um, the outcome of that, however you decide to, to go through it is you have to come to a decision and then based on that decision, it feeds directly into the last step, which is act. Um, so you, whatever you decide to do, you act on it and then it's a loop. So then whatever you act, then you're interacting on that environment and on the things that you're seeing, which creates a feedback loop and you observe the effects of whatever actions you took. And then that feeds into your next trip through the loop, basically. I like it. Um, it kind of sounds like the scientific method of decision-making. Yeah, it's a good way to, to put it. It's well, also the, the basis for like machine learning and some of the stuff that I do at, at my current job. So it, it's definitely applicable in a lot of situations. I think my biggest takeaway from it um, is it's something that you can do in your day to day. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that when, when crap hits the fan and you've got things going on all around you that are in a dangerous situation, it, it's also something that you can utilize um, in day to day prioritizing or decision making in regards to that. So. Yeah, it's, and that's the best way to hone your skills, honestly. And it's, unfortunately, it's kind of the opposite of mindfulness that we talk about a lot on this podcast, because instead of just being present in the moment, you're actively looking out for like external stimuli and you're latching onto that and using that to, to orient yourself and decide you know, what am I going to do next? So it's, it's like everything, right? You've got to find a balance. Mm -hmm. I mean, mindfulness is great, but you don't want to be sitting in the middle of a riot with your eyes closed, taking in the sounds, smells, and visions around you. It's not <laughs> the right. place to be. So, yeah. It's very true. Yeah. Granted, that would be one heck of a of a mindfulness <laughs> situation, <laughs> being in the middle of uh, something with so much raw emotion all around you. Yeah. A little scary, but yeah. Um, I also wanted to add, it kind of falls under a physical and a mental prep. Um is know where to get your information. Um, whether it's the radio, the unfortunate reality is a lot of us carry around these cell phones. So we don't listen to the radio. We don't, I don't like to watch TV. I hate watching the news. It's full of like, just all negative. It gets me riled up and thinking that the world is going to end and actually 
creates kind of a negative feedback loop of, oh, this is this is happening now. It's going to escalate. I need to go further into this prepping thing. And so it's not exactly help, healthy for me to do it. But you got to know where you're going to get your information. Um, so I just wanted to say three places to get your information. And the, the first place, the place that you're probably going to be like, oh my gosh, he's actually going to say that is Twitter. <laughs> it's crazy. It's a, it's a cesspool of trolls. <laughs> but it's also full of a bunch of amateur reporters that are able to feed you video, give you street addresses. I follow the Colorado Emergency Management Twitter I follow my town's police department. I follow my region's fire department and I follow the county sheriff all on Twitter. And I set it up. So I have an alert that is if they tweet something out, I get a push notification. I can check my phone and go, Oh crap. I need to go home a different way. That's the number one place where I get my like up to the minute information. I mean, there, it is social media. It's also, in my opinion, one of the more open social media networks. Um, you know, you're going to see stuff regardless of, you know, who's your, like, who's your friend, right, on Facebook or whatever. And it's so real time. And there's a reason that journalists often use Twitter to get their tips about developing news. So I think it's valid. Well. Um, my number two source for news is going to be your traditional, your, your radio stations and your, um, TV stations. They give you a pretty decent overview of what's going on in your local area. Um, unfortunately, this means you have to turn off Spotify or Pandora or Apple music for at least, I don't know. 10 minutes uh, before you drive out. It'll give you traffic updates. It'll give you anything. The other day, there was, uh, there was a huge chunk of road that was uh, shut down in my city because they had to have bomb squad out there to dispose of a bomb that they found in a, in a car that was pulled over by police. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't listening to the news, I wouldn't have known that. I would have been stuck in traffic for two, three hours. Uh, waiting for a reroute, not knowing what was going on and not really realizing how dangerous of a situation that would have been. Yeah. So. And then the number three source of information, maybe not a source of information, but mental prep is let the people that matter to you, whether it's a partner, a spouse, your family, let them know hey, I'm leaving the office, I'm coming home, expect me at this time type of thing. Just in case something happens, they know roughly where you are. Yeah, that's that's something that my wife and I have always done. It, I wonder if it's just a byproduct of being raised before everybody carried cell phones around. Because that was something <clears throat> I remember as a kid, like when I'd go out to play with my friends, the rule was, okay, you have to tell mom and dad where you're going. And then you can stay there for as long as you want. But if you go somewhere else, you have to call and say where you're going. 
mm-hmm. you know? So if your plans change, the rule was tell mom and dad and then let them know when you're coming, you know, when you're on your way home. So at least they know which ditch to go look for your body in, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I was driving home from the mountains today, uh, I was talking to my wife a little bit about if you're doing anything like backpacking wise that you're technically supposed to check in with the ranger station and give them an itinerary. So if somebody calls, if you never show up, they know where to send the search and rescue team. Hmm. Nice. So it's kind of a similar thing just with your loved ones, rather than a government agency, you're calling the people that matter to you, letting them know that you're heading home. You don't have to go into detail like, Oh, I'm heading home on this road. I just say, I'm on my way home. Expect me in like 15, 20 minutes or mm-hmm. I usually don't even do that. I call and say, I'm on my way home. Do you want me to pick up dinner? Yeah. Practical to you. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, great points. I like your, your three items. So. Uh, uh, so physical preps then. Moving into kind of the, the classic things that we've talked about, but this list has been pruned a little bit to the items that specifically apply during one of these potential situations. Uh, the first item is obviously just get your standard emergency p- supplies, make sure they're up to date. Uh, you know, food, water, electricity. We saw over the last couple of summers that there's a good chance you might not be able to get to the store to buy food, whether that's due to riots or supply chain stuff, just make sure and have extra food and water on hand. Simple, simple and easy. Um, the, the Mormon church or LDS church does a good job with this. Um, there's probably a reason why a lot of the prepper community comes from that faith but they recommend a 72 hour kit basically being able to have food and water for three days at a minimum. And I really like that, that guidance that the, that that church um, gives to its members and in reality to the general population, just 72 hours being able to be self-sufficient for 72 hours, I think is a great start. Great place to start. Yeah. Agreed. I would say most like minor to moderate disruptions will typically be resolved after 72 hours, whether it's power outage or, you know, the road gets washed out or whatever. It's a good number. So, yeah. Um, another thing, don't get complacent. Um, we see this quite often in today's society where, really bad things happen and then they get better and people are like, Oh, the bad thing happened, but it's getting better now. So, you know, like why prepare for the bad thing that's in the past? It's never going to happen again. And so, uh, we get super complacent. Um, and the key to being prepared for a situation, any situation is to not be complacent. So just because inflation short shortages and all that have been here for several months, it doesn't mean that things are stable. Th- 
things could get worse. Just because the stock market rose yesterday doesn't mean it's going to not going to fall tomorrow. Like everything, things happen and we need to be prepared for things to happen. So don't just sit back on your laurels and expect because things are going in one direction that they're going to continue to go in that direction. This also goes for prepping. Don't go so over the top. Think that the world's going to end tomorrow. Go buy yourself uh, 50,000 acres in the middle of nowhere in America on an old missile range and build yourself a bunker and hide from everybody. (laughs) You can take it two ways. You can be either too complacent or too prepared. The goal is to be somewhere in the middle of the extremes. Yep. Agreed. Um, next on our short list, take care of your health. Um, be up to date on your prescription medications. If you're taking any, especially, um, speaking for myself, things like insulin, you like, I can only store so much insulin at a time. It only lasts so long, even in the refrigerator. Um, but I always try and have, you know, at least like an extra month if I can. Um, also if you, this can be kind of difficult depending on what kind of health insurance you have, but most, I would say the vast majority of insurance providers will allow you to get three months at a time, especially if it's like a maintenance prescription. Um, and if not, you can usually talk to your daughter, your doctor, <laughs> and uh, just explain to them that you need, you know, some extras on hand. They'll write you a prescription in advance on a piece of paper so that you can at least just take that to the pharmacy rather than having to get another appointment. Or sometimes they'll give you samples, free samples that you can just keep on hand. Um, I will say, depending on your doctor and what their views are, Maybe don't tell them that you're doing this to prep for disaster. Just tell them you're traveling. That's always a super safe explanation. Um, And then the other thing with health, just, you know, I mean, COVID's still a thing. Even apart from that, germs are a thing. Just take care of your health because if that goes, then all of this other stuff doesn't, it's not even worth talking about. So just be smart. Yep. Um, I'm going to cut, touch a little bit back onto the health thing, um, a little bit later when we talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time, but as a little bit of a foreshadow, um, if you're nearsighted or farsighted and require glasses or contacts, any type of corrective, um, lens, try to have a spare pair of glasses, contact lenses, or something of the like on you at all times. Because there's nothing worse than not being able to see, not being able to drive, not being able to get out of a situation because you forgot your glasses at home or you lost a contact and can't see, so you can't drive safely. Like I'm just going to say, have your, your corrective vision implements with you at all times. Yeah, agreed. So, sorry. Um, We will cover that a little bit more with the wrong place, wrong time 
discussion. Um, another thing, get to know your neighbors. Don't go out and say, hi, my name is Steve. I'm your next door neighbor and I have a two months food supply in my basement. What are you bringing to the table? <laughs> Hungry bellies. That's what they'll bring. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, you probably don't want to say, hey, I'm one of those weird people that National Geographic um, did on their show, Casual, or uh, Disaster Preppers, or whatever that TV show was. Oh, Doomsday Preppers. Doomsday Preppers, thank you. Um, but it's a good idea to kind of get to know uh, your neighbors and build up rapport. Um, if things are happening in your neighborhood, if you have a a group of people that you can rely on, you're going to do so much better than if you're just sitting in your house by yourself waiting for the worst to happen. Yeah, agreed. Um, And Adam wrote in the note, if anything, when you're out of town, you can just be the strange people that go and take the note, mail in and water the plants. Like, it's good to know your neighbors for many reasons. Yeah. Agreed. We, uh, just a little bit of a tangent, not too long. Um, the people next door to us, uh, they moved in like a month or two after we did. And, uh, it was like during harvest season <laughs> last fall. Um, so we were taking them like homemade jam and like homemade bread, all of this stuff. And it's this super nice, um, I think they're from Guatemala, if I remember right. Um, and the parents don't speak any English, but my wife and I both speak Spanish. And so if you're looking for a way to kind of break the ice and make friends with your neighbors, taking food is great. And uh, if you live in a mixed racial community, anything you can do to try and connect like that Um I mean, we're, you know, we're still just neighbors. We're not like best friends, but I feel like we're pretty close with them just because they're in a neighborhood where there's not a lot of Spanish speaking families. And so we have that connection with them. Yeah, that's huge. And I bet if anything happened, they'd feel comfortable coming to you in an emergency situation just because they can communicate with you. Yeah, it's true. So that's good. Um, The 1940s and 1950s were not exactly the best time to be alive, but that old bring your new neighbors a a fruitcake and get to know them idea. There's nothing wrong with that. Minus the fruitcake. <laughs> I'm a fan of homemade bread. So I like to to make a loaf of my, my mom and her mom's recipe, homemade bread, and get them addicted to it and then not share the recipe because <laughs> my mom would kill me. Mm-hmm. Keeps them coming back for more. So you know what I'm talking about. You've tasted it. <laughs> yep. I was just about to say I, I, part of my preps uh, for this year is going to be starting a sourdough start. So 
when all yeah. the yeast gets bought out of the supermarkets, I can still make bread. So that's what that's I was planning on doing for the month of August. That's a really good idea, actually, because yeah, I've I've got several bricks of the the Saf instant yeast, but I mean, if the freezer goes out, they're not going to last as long. So, mm-hmm. cool. Well, didn't mean to send us off on a tangent. Oh but. no, <laughs> it, it, it's not much of a uh, tangent considering the next thing that you were going to talk about was uh, what to do if you can't find food yeah true so <laughs> um so i actually if you follow us on instagram i posted a little bit about this the other day uh, my wife and i have been working on a vegetable garden and that's our next talking point here is uh, basically anything you can do to feed yourself gardening livestock um we had our first round of harvests from our garden we had some onions some radishes and some lettuce and Um, my wife never really gardened, um, in her family. And it was really interesting seeing her taste an actual like garden grown radish and just how much more flavor they had and, you know, how much more like spice compared to a, a styrofoam flavored store-bought radish. But, (laughs) um, but it's, I mean, it's great preparedness too. And even if you, don't have a huge space, just grow what you can. Um, you need to develop those gardening skills and, and gain the knowledge. And there's no better way than to, you know, plant a tomato plant, a head of lettuce and some onions. Um, if you want like a ton of vegetables and you only want to plant one plant, plant some zucchini. Um, anything you can do is going to help supplement um, the food, which makes you less reliant on the supply chain if something is to go wrong. Yeah. Zucchini is um, great for that. Uh, potatoes. I'm always amazed at how a single spud that's got eyes that you just put in the ground can turn into anywhere from eight to 15 spuds. It's true. And they're super easy to grow. Um, tomatoes can be a little delicate, but like zucchini and potatoes, you just bury it and water it like once or twice a week. You'll be good. Yep. We actually are not growing any potatoes just because we looked at it. And between farmer's markets and the fact that we live out in the middle of farmland, <laughs> we have access to potatoes for pennies on the dollar. Like It made more sense to use our square footage to grow other stuff. Yeah. But they're a great crop. The only reason we have a potato plant this year is I had a potato in storage that went soft <laughs> and I, I've i been composting and trying not to do any food waste and I just went, you know, if I put this in my compost, my compost is going to turn into a potato plant. I might as well just bury it in the garden <laughs> and instead of composting it, so... I saved it from the compost and I buried it in the garden just to see if it would pop up without that nutrient, like really heavy nitrogen that the compost has. And I walked out probably a month later after I buried it, trying to figure out vegetable layout and looked down. And from this one 
potato that was too soft for me and my wife to eat. I've got off of it, I think I've got five stalks and it's already starting to go to flower. <laughs> so, um, yeah, super easy, especially in your, if you're in the right soil, which is basically anywhere in the Rocky Mountain region. I feel yeah. like you can grow potatoes relatively easy. Um, the only other thing I'll mention with gardening, livestock, whatever your self-sufficient food source is, if things get to be really bad, as far as civil unrest, if it gets to like a level three, um, just, and depending on like what your yard's like, um, like if it's like me where you've got a big yard and just a, a six foot cedar fence, you need to be able to like secure your garden. Um, if somebody's walking by and they're hungry, they're not going to hesitate to jump a fence and grab what they can. So just keep it safe if you have to. Um, some of my neighbors, uh, before we moved actually used to, they planted the trees that they like the, their garden and everything in their backyard that they really needed to supplement their own. And then they planted two fruit trees in the front yard, easy access front yard trees. That's a good idea. And, like um, it, it's basically if, if somebody was homeless, they had access to food. Um, the squirrels and the birds had access to food. It was not a maintained tree, but they had an apple tree and a pear tree out in the front yard for whoever, whatever needed the food, easy access. So they wouldn't have people jumping their fence if something happened. Nice. I like that idea. So it's another idea. Uh, some people, I know if you live in a city, it's hard to grow a tree off a, uh, off a, like a 10th floor balcony. Um, (laughs) but everything in regards to gardening can also be done for the most part in containers. Um, another thing that I like is part of talking with your neighbors. If you're not in an apartment or a condo complex, talking with your neighbors and finding a neighborhood space, find somebody that does have really good sun um, and create like a little gardening co-op. You can talk to your, your neighborhood um, councilman, council person, I guess not to be sexist council person and set up community gardens. Um, If there's a salvation army church, not, not like a thrift store, but the actual church somewhere in your neighborhood, Nine times out of ten, they have community gardens that you can rent space out for them. There's ways to get around the lack of gardening if you don't have the space through talking to your neighbors, going to different churches that offer community gardens on their on their land, or talking to a council person and seeing if they could bring it up to their city council to turn a section of a park into a garden because it would be so much more amazing if you had a maintained 
rototilled piece of parkland rather than just endless fields of grass that do nobody really any good. Yeah, or even I've seen a lot of people where there will be like an abandoned lot or like part of a lot, like an easement that doesn't have anything there and it's just kind of overgrown with weeds. And if you go to the city council with a potential solution rather than just complaining of, hey, there's this space that's full of weeds. Could we have your approval to make this a community garden, a vegetable garden? It's a win for them. It's a win for everybody else because it makes your neighborhood look better and you get food and the city doesn't have to pay anything for it. Mm -hmm. But chances are they'll probably donate like some tools and stuff, some seeds. So yeah, doesn't have to ask. seeds, run water. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that the city can do to help out people who want to create a gardening co-op. We'll probably talk about that in a future episode, especially as it comes close to uh, the political season around the world. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so that's how you prep. Now, what do we need to know if we can't avoid or if we so choose to go to a demonstration? Well, (laughs) if you, I would say the one thing when I was researching that came up is if you are at a demonstration or a protest, whether, you know, whatever your intentions are, if things do turn ugly, just assume that you are going to be assumed to be part of it. doesn't matter if things turn into a riot and you're out there shouting, I'm innocent, like I'm not part of this. doesn't matter. You're going to get arrested or treated the same as everybody else. Um, for the most part, this section, I uh, know that we are talking to our American listeners. Um, we are not lawyers. We're not giving any legal advice um, that can't be found on the internet by people who are way smarter than us. (laughs) And everything that we say, expect that your country of residence is slightly different. I, I can almost guarantee the steps of if you get arrested here in the United States, it's going to be way different than the steps on if you get arrested in Hong Kong. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just a little bit. So, um, Although if, if you're from other countries and you're traveling here on summer vacation, they do apply. So, Yes, that's true. Just because you are not citizens does not mean that you will not be treated with the same, quote unquote, same respect that us citizens are treated with. However little that is in some communities and much more that is in others. Yeah, well, the same legal rights anyway, if nothing else. Yeah. so before we talk about what happens if you're stopped by police at a demonstration um if you are at a demonstration some of my go-tos the couple times that i have decided to use my rights as an american to go and demand change in a demonstration never be in the front You don't want to be the first person that the police sees and never be in the back. You don't want to be the first person to be trampled. You also don't want to be in the middle 
my go-to place is on the sides, on the wings of the demonstration where you're able to raise your voice in solidarity with the people around you, but you also want to be able to peel off and get out of there if things go really bad. Yeah, that's um, where I would go. I mean, that's where I'd another be. Another thing, if you wear contacts, leave them at home. <laughs> uh, wear your glasses to any demonstrations. You don't want to go. Uh, you see a lot of it in the newspapers today. A lot of people will go with like swimming goggles and rebreathing masks. That basically signals to any police officer that you are there to cause issue. But if you go wearing a mask because of COVID and eyeglasses, it's not going to be as fishy. Um, and the reason why you don't want to be wearing your contacts is because tear gas is oil-based. And if it gets between your contact lens and your eyeball, you can't get that um, irritant out no matter how much you blink, no matter how much it is. And rubbing it just makes it so much worse. And so having the having your glasses makes it so that you can flush your eye with water um, or some other thing. Also, if you're at a political thing, a uh, political rally that turns violent, there are a group of people that usually are wearing tactical backpacks and they put the Red Cross stamp on their tactical backpack. They do not care what affiliation you are. If you got hit with a rubber bullet, they will be there to help you get to safety. If you got a face full of tear gas or mace or any of that, they will be there with uh, milk to wash out your eyes, spring water. And most of them are EMT trained. Some of them are not, but they do not care who you are. Their goal is to help you stay safe and get out of there in one piece. Um, anything else I'm missing on if you go before we talk about what happens if you get stopped? Um, I don't think so. Just, yeah, I don't want to seem like glass half empty or pessimistic, but kind of go not planning on things turning violent, but again, just being prepared for it. Right. Like if you, yeah, just be aware of the things that you're carrying and how, they're going to make you appear to law enforcement. Like, mm -hmm. and I'm, I will be the first person to say that, like, depending on the state you're in, you have certain rights, right? Like in my state, you have the absolute right to walk down the street with a loaded AR 15 slung across your shoulder. That, ha that has been upheld time and time again in the courts in my state. However, if you show up to a protest carrying said item you're looking for trouble like you just have to be smart about things and regardless of what your rights are if things turn ugly you need to think about what you're going to look like to law enforcement officers and how they're going to perceive you that's really good advice um if you're in a state such as colorado where marijuana is legal don't go high. 
Don't go with marijuana <laughs> on you. Don't go drunk. Don't go with cans of beer on you. Don't pack a brick of building material or any other illicit substance in the backpack. No, go expecting to be stopped. And and I hate to say it, but go expecting it to happen and just know that in the heat of the moment, no matter how well trained the police are, no matter how well trained the National Guard is, no matter how well trained anybody is, in the heat of a moment, they're going to make a snap decision based on how you are perceived. And you don't want to give them anything to make your situation worse. Yep, agreed. So, so <laughs> when you do show up with a brick in your backpack or, you know, a Molotov cocktail <laughs> and you get arrested, um, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but if you seriously, if you do get arrested, even if you're innocent, you know, wrong place, wrong time type of thing, um, there's a few things, and again, this applies in the U.S. for sure. Um, it's a it's your responsibility to know your local laws. Um, but in the U.S., the very first most important thing is you need to retain your right to a lawyer. You don't offer any other information other than your name and the other identifying information that you are required to give. Um, and then if they would ask other questions, your only response is, I want to call a lawyer. That's all that you have to say by law. And that's all that you should say if you want to get out of it without like, you know, at the very least, a legal hassle. On top of that, our Supreme Court just deemed it unnecessary for police to tell you your rights. We used to have something called the Miranda rights that had to be re read after if you were being arrested. It no longer stands that those have to be read to you. So you need to know your rights going in. And the most important part of that is you have the right to remain silent. They could ask you thousand questions and you have the right to say nothing and flex that right. It'll piss them off. But flex that right. Um, one thing to remember also with that is it's not just a cliche in bad American TV. There will be good cop, bad cop. There will be cops that pretend to be your friend, will like share life stories trying to get you to talk. Know that their job is to build a case against you to send to the prosecution. Unfortunately... Um, in situations like this, you are no longer innocent until proven guilty. You are guilty until proven innocent nine times out of ten. And that anything you can do to help that cause, you should do. And that means remaining silent and don't give in to the buddy cop who's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, my nephew was out here the other week and he, he was talking about some guys that, like, were up to no good. And I told him he just couldn't do it and, like trying to just trying to share a shared experience with you, trying to get you to open up. Don't fall for it. Stay quiet. Ask for your lawyer. You can, uh, if you're being arrested or detained, you can give them name. You don't even have to give them ID, just name and address. And then you just be silent. 
Yep. And going uh, hand in hand with that, um, be courteous when you're dealing with law enforcement, but be firm. You know, don't, you know, get right up in their face. Hey, a cab, like, you know, fuck the police. Like be courteous and professional, but be firm. Don't resist physically. You know, if they are physically detaining you, you're being physically detained. That's just how it is. If they put you in handcuffs, you know, lots of people are also going to get put in handcuffs. Don't try and resist. Don't give any other reason for them to escalate. Yep. Um, in regards to that, if you're with somebody, I, I hate to say it, and don't be one of those jerks that like tries to get arrested so you can do a gotcha moment with your the camera on your phone. Actually, when it comes to any type of uh, organization against the government, I would suggest not bringing your phone in case uh, cell phone tower records get subpoenaed and then they can place you there. Um, but if you are there with your phone, record them. Just for your own safety. Don't say anything. You're allowed to record the police here in America. Don't shove it in their face. Don't be a jerk about it. Don't try to give you get a gotcha moment for your 10 seconds of YouTube fame. Record it for your own safety. Um, yeah. Kind of on top of that. We, we already talked about don't talk to them. Don't admit anything. Don't deny anything. Ask for your lawyer. Um, if you were being detained and it's not a heat of the moment, like, and they're doing a mass arrest, you have the right to ask, am I being detained? And they have, they have to tell you. Some of them will choose to say it in a wordy manner, but they have to tell you yes or no. If you are not being detained, you don't even have to ask, am I free to go? It's a polite thing to do because they can say you're resisting arrest. You weren't detained, but you were being arrested. So you just, am I being detained? Am I free to go? If they say, yes, you're free to go, walk, don't run, walk away, get to safety. Yeah. Um, the only other thing for this section that I wanted to hit on, this was just in the news, I want to say today, actually, um, along with, so back on the topic of recording interactions with the police. Um, Arizona passed a law that you have to be eight feet away to record interactions with the police. Um, so just keep that in mind. It, it goes along with what Steve already said about, you know, don't get up in their face. Don't give them a, a reason to, you know, to escalate the situation. Um, it, you still have the right to record the interaction. Just know that if you're in Arizona, you got to be eight feet away. And um, that sets a legal precedent, obviously. So it's likely that other states are going to pass similar legislation. I, I hadn't heard that one. Um, I would. If you're recording an interaction you're having for your own safety, uh, even outside of a civil unrest situation, let them know. 
hey, I'm recording you. Nine times out of ten, they'll point to their body cam and say, me too. <laughs> but just uh, just be as polite as you can. Like, nobody really wants to be recorded without your without their permission. And just, uh, even though you're allowed to, just be a kind, decent human being and be say, hey, I'm recording you. And make sure that your phone looks like a phone, that you're not pointing it in a way that's threatening towards the officer. If you're at a traffic stop, you can put it up on your uh, on your dashboard with the camera facing you. It doesn't even have to face the cop. Um, just as an added piece of evidence in case you do have to go in to testify for whatever reason. Yeah. All good information. So. Um, anything else to cover on our main topic? I don't think so. Before we move on? I think we've kind of hit the basics of this on the head. Okay. Until we do it again and come up with new information. (laughs) All right. Um, So moving on to mindfulness this week, um, didn't really have a specific quote, but I did recently start following a uh, a web comic on Instagram called dinos and comics. Um, And you've, probably seen these shared around as, as memes and things, but it's this cute little like four panel comic strip of dinosaurs. And, um, this one, so there's two dinosaurs talking. I'll, I'll post this, post this on our, our Instagram so you can look at it. But, um, one dinosaur says to the other, be kind because everyone is fighting their own battles. And then the second dinosaur in response says, why would I be kind? I will be brutal and relentless. And the first dinosaur is kind of confused, like, what? Then the second dinosaur clarifies and ride into battle by their side. And I just really liked this um, cute little comic. And it kind of fits with, like, with the month of June being over, right? And people are changing their profile pictures back to, like, the non-rainbow versions. Um, But I just thought with kind of what's going on in the world, um, try to, trying to end this episode on a positive note, just, I'd like us all to remember that standing up for each other, being an ally, doing the right thing, whatever you want to call it, um, this is something we should try our best to do every day, not just, you know, when other people are doing it, not just during Pride Month, not just when other people are watching just, and this is kind of back to one of the, like the basic ideas that launched this podcast of being a decent human and trying to make the world a better place. I I just looked at the Kalmyk and it is adorable. (laughs) No, um, I, I, I'll echo what Adam said. Uh, One of the reasons for this podcast is there's so much division in the world and we just, both of us are very passionate about treating others with respect, treating others 
the way that we would want to be treated, kind of the golden rule type of thing. And just because one month ends doesn't mean that we should stop treating each other with the respect that we would desire. And I think that comic beautifully sums it up. Cool. Well, what can the folks expect next week? <clears throat> well, just in case you didn't get enough of the prepping uh, attitude from this one, next week we're going to do another special prepping episode as we look at how to prepare and handle yourselves in dangerous situations, whether it be natural disasters, invasion from a foreign nation to an active shooter. We will give you the ins and outs on how to prepare and hopefully survive these situations. We'll see you next week. See you then. <laughs>